Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Hi, good afternoon, guys. Um, as you see on screen, we're at Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4. Um, if you have your Bibles, take a second to get it out. I'm just going to read slowly for us. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. Um. I'm just going to pray there just before Steve takes over. I'm going to pray for his message based on this word that we have for us. I just want to start, Lord, by thanking you for showing us your heart through your word, Lord, for showing us your gospel, your good news, your grace, and your promise of hope. Um, And I just pray that as Steve um, speaks this this afternoon, that you really guide his heart and show us um, your word for this evening. Show us your desire for our lives in you in this new body, in this new covenant. And I pray, Lord, that you show us how to look at these things above, how to stay away or how to not be concerned and consumed with things of the earth, um, but to stay faithful so that we may be revealed in you, um, in your timing. I just pray again for guidance over Steve's heart, over his over his tongue, over his message this afternoon. Um, and I pray it speaks to all of us. Amen. Hey man, thank you, Lucas. Uh, it's wonderful uh, to be here and I see some new faces and new names. So if you are new, as Matthew said, just so lovely to have you here. Welcome. And uh, we'd love at some point to get to know you uh, more personally. Uh, one of the uh, classic Disney films of my generation, uh, and you've got redone, of course, so of the next generation, is The Lion King. It's a story about identity. Simba is the future king of the pride but he has wrong notions and understanding of what that means. He thinks he needs to be macho and strong and impressive, and he ends up getting into all kinds of trouble. Uh, And uh, his long-suffering father, Mufasa, has to try and help him to understand who he is and how his identity as the future king should affect his motivation and therefore his behavior. And if you know the story, things go uh, from bad to worse and pretty sour quickly for Simba as he thinks he's at fault for his father's death. Uh, And he runs off in fear and guilt and tries to escape his destiny and his identity. He wants to get rid of his identity, but he's called back years later because he has to rescue the pride which is suffering terribly under the tyranny of his evil and power-hungry uncle, Scar. And they need the king to return. But he's full of doubts and fears and uncertainties. Why? About his identity. Will he be able to? Does he want to? Is he adequate? Is he willing to sacrifice himself for the good of others? And as he wrestles with these thoughts on identity and can he do it, he receives a vision from his father depicted as if in heaven in the film. And his father says to him these very famous words, remember who you are. You are my son and the one true king. Remember who you are. 
If Simba remembered who he was, he'd live in a way that was appropriate to his identity. And so our Heavenly Father is constantly calling down to you and me, saying, remember who you are. Because if we would just remember our identity and who we are in Christ, we will live as God wants us to live. I think this can be argued as that is the greatest secret to the whole of the Christian life. I don't, that's not an overstatement in my opinion. Remember who you are, or better, be who God has made you. Be who you already are in Christ. And so for us on our Vision Sunday, like, who are we as a church? What are we about? There's no better message for us as individuals and as a corporate entity. We've got to remember who we are, because as we know who we are in Christ, we will live and act and be in a way that befits our identity as the children of God, the church of Christ, and the temple of the Holy Spirit. You see, the church as it is an alternative society on earth created by God to declare and demonstrate the kingdom of God so that those around us might taste and see and hear and so too come to be part of that kingdom. But it all starts with us knowing who we are. Our Heavenly Father is calling down to you, to me, every day, all day, right now, and saying, remember who you are. Be who you are. Well, Steve, who are we? <laughs> okay, obvious question. Colossians 3. Let's get going. Three parts of our identity, past, present, and future. Let's have a look at them. Do take some notes, because this, for me, is such essential understand. You know, if you're going to live as a Christian, you've got to get hold of this. The first thing is in the past. Who am I in the past? Verses 1 to 3, I've died and I've raised with Christ. Verse 1, we have been raised with Christ. Verse 3, we have died with Christ. At the heart of the Christian message, central to everything we believe, are the historical facts that Jesus died under Pontius Pilate, was buried. Three days later, he rose again. And Paul makes the outrageous claim to say that just as Jesus was died and raised, so we have died and been raised with him. Paul says to the church in Corinth, you're a new creation. You're a new person. The old is gone. The new has come. We've been died and raised. Notice Paul is emphatic. This has happened. He's not asking you whether you feel it's happened. He's declaring it has happened, whether you feel like it's happened or not. Have we died and raised with Christ? Paul says, yes, if you're a believer. It's not a question of if this has happened. And so he moves on. He said, that's in the past. Well, what about the present? He says in the present, verse two, for you died and your life is now, what do you notice it? Hidden with Christ in God. What does that mean? What does it mean for my life to be hidden, your life to be hidden with Christ in God? Well, I think it means this. Although I'm united with Christ, although I'm a citizen of heaven, although I'm a brand new person, I'm a new creation, the world cannot see it. My real status is hidden from the world around. It's not obvious. And that's sometimes why I don't even feel it myself, because it doesn't feel that obvious. But think about it. Just as the power, the wisdom, 
and the glory of the cross was hidden even from the disciples, let alone the world. So the power, the wisdom, and the glory of the church is so often hidden. People can't see it. They just don't get it. You see, uh, uh, the typical reaction I get when I tell people in the workplace or down the GA club or when I meet a new person that I'm a Christian and then, you know, that I'm a pastor is it's sort of shock and confusion. Um, You know, they don't mock me or persecute me or certainly not to my face. You know, you you never know if someone's mocking you. But it's sort of confusion. It's like, why would you want to be a Christian? You know, that's the kind of, they don't say it. But that's what their face says. And it's a conversation cul-de-sac. You know, it doesn't go anywhere. I'm a Christian. Oh, uh, let's talk about the rugby again. You know, like, it's a, it's a surprise at best, pity at worst. It's a strange thing to be a Christian in today's society. Christians are stupid, are dumb, are pathetic, are weird, are irrelevant. You follow a guy who died on a cross 2,000 years ago. You base your whole life on him. How ridiculous. Our identity is hidden. The kingdom of God was hidden. They don't see the glory of it. They think it's ridiculous. The church of Jesus Christ, with Jesus as its head, can from time to time seem splendid and glorious. Yes, it can. But now for the most part, in the eyes of the world, the church of Jesus Christ looks fragile, frail, failing, and false. And you'll have known what it was like before God opened your eyes to see the beauty of the whole thing. People just can't see it. It's hidden from them. You know, yeah, Jesus was a good moral teacher. They can't see anything else. It's hidden. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. The world, our family, and our friends, they just don't see it. They can't see it. And it, by the way, pastoral application, it's painful. It's heartbreaking. As so many people we love can't see what we see. It's hidden. In the past, we died and raised with Christ. In the present, we're hidden. But that hiddenness is then contrasted in verse 4, appear or revealed with him in glory. Verse four is got to be one of the most, it's got to underline that verse. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed or appears, then you too will be revealed, the hiddenness, the appearing with him in glory. The same man who died on a cross 2,000 years ago in such weakness and fullness, no one could see the glory of the cross, not even his disciples, that man will return in glory and it will not be ridiculous then. Though people do not recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior of this world now, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And Revelation chapter 7 tells us of that day when Jesus, the Lamb of God, is seated on the throne in glory. And it talks about four living creatures falling down on their faces because he's so glorious. It talks about 12 elders falling down because of his glory. It talks about all these angels, countless angels falling down because of his glory. And together with an uncountable multitude from every tribe, tongue, country and nation, we fall down and worship the Lamb on the throne because of his glory and when that day comes the church you and me every believer paul says is going to be revealed or is going to appear with him in glory our true status not as parents children students brothers sisters single married unemployed employed whatever the labels that our world puts on us No, no, we're going to be revealed 
as God's children in glory. One day, the amount of money you earned, the house you lived in, the earthly family you did or didn't have, the accolades and successes of this life that you did or didn't achieve, the failures and mistakes of this life that may have haunted you will not matter. You will appear with him in glory. Your, great, your greatest earthly success will be deeply insignificant because you'll appear with him in glory. Your greatest earthly failure will be deeply insignificant because you'll appear with him in glory. The Apostle Paul, who was run, once trying to put the pain of this life into perspective, said to a church in Rome, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that it will be revealed in us. And that is wonderful and true, particularly during these COVID days. But well might I add to our anxious, driven, exhausted culture, desperately trying to discover and determine their own identity through achievements and earthly glory. Paul might have said, I consider that our present glories and achievements are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Brothers and sisters, I hope that if nothing else, COVID-19 has taught you that we need to be more ravished by our future identity as those that will appear with Christ in glory. This world is not our home. It's not our final abode. It will never fully satisfy us. It's full of decay, death and disease. But at one day, everything we ever dreamed of, everything we ever desired will be given to us and 10 times more as we appear with Christ in glory. And everything we ever missed out on, every disappointment we experienced, every loss that we endured, every bit of loneliness, isolation and heartache, everything will be swallowed up as we appear with Christ in glory. And this is just as much part of our identity now in terms of this is just as fixed as our past and our present identity. We need to learn to be ravished by this identity. Paul is saying, you've died with Christ, you've been raised with Christ, you're hidden with Christ, but one day you're going to appear with Christ. If you know this Christ City Church, well, we will live as the people of God. Our Heavenly Father is saying to us from heaven now, remember who you are. And then Paul gives us an application straight away. Well, if you know who you are, if that's my identity, what's the application? First application, align our hearts to our new identity. You've got to align your heart to this. So he says, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The heart in the scripture is not the seat of the emotions in contrast to the mind, which is the seat of reason. Rather, the heart is the seat of the deepest trust, commitments and loves from which everything in your life flows. So the heart is who you really are. So what does it mean to align my heart with my identity? What does that mean in practice? Well, I actually think Paul tells us in verse four, he puts it like this, when Christ who is your life appears. A Christian is someone that says this. I used to make all kinds of things my life, my identity. I used to build my life on them. And now my joy, my desire, my hope, Jesus, he's my life. Paul, in another letter, put it like this. For me to live is Christ 
and to die is gain, Philippians chapter one. But in Philippians chapter three, he lists all the things that he used to find his identity in. He talks about his religion, his ethnicity, his tribe, his moral obedience, his effectiveness, his zeal. And he says in Philippians three, that famous passage, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And this is the phrase, and be found in him. A Christian is someone who says, Jesus is my life. I've aligned my heart to my identity. I've set my affections, my desires, and my motivation on him, not on popularity, not on the house I live in, not on a new experience I'm going to have, not on my social media effectiveness, presence, and likes, not on the amount of money in my bank account, not on my sexual activity or preference, not on the importance of my role as seen by society day by day and what they pay me and the recognition society gives me for that role, not by the shape of my body or my external beauty, not by my success or failure, not by any earthly relationship or family, not on moral rectitude and obedience. These things are not my life. I've stopped trying to define myself outside of Christ. I've given up any pretensions of being able to establish my identity outside of Christ. And I've aligned my heart to who I am. This is radically threatening because it destabilizes us because we all want to align our heart to other things and find our identity in other things. And yet it is radically comforting because now we can rest. I don't have to discover or determine my identity. It's been given to me, past, present, and future. Align your heart to who Christ says you are. Second application, align your mind to your new identity. Verse two, set your minds on things above not on earthly things once have i've understood my identity i've lined my heart up with my identity i now get my mind engaged my mindset will be better with my identity what i believe will hugely affect how i live so will i allow Listen, how, how is our minds formed at the moment well society says let your mind be formed by the newsreel what the, what the media says about the world, the social media feed, what social media says about the world, and your internal desires. That's how, that's how the world says you should think about life. They're the lenses we're given. What does social media say? What does the news say? And what do my internal desires say? A Christian says, no, I know my identity. So now I need to align my, my mind with that. I need to have a new mindset. So back in the first century, a Greek philosopher once put it like this. It's not what happens to you, but how you react to it that matters. You see, my new identity leads to a new mindset, a new set of lenses. So now it's not what's happening. It's how I react. It's how I see what's happening to me. So if I update Epictetus, if that's how you pronounce his name, I would say this. It's not so much what happens to you that defines you as the lens which you see the world and yourself and therefore everything that happens to you. It's how you see the world. And when you've got your, 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 when you've got your identity organized and you've got your heart, you see the world differently. 
Paul says, so take your mind off earthly things and stop interpreting the world through earthly ways, through the newsreel, the social media feed, your internal emotions. Start training your mind to see the world through your new identity. Every success in life, interpret it through the, the lens of a new identity, a new mindset. You're still going to rejoice in your successes, but they're not going to dominate you and they're not going to make you proud. And every failure and every loss in life, interpret it through the new mindset, the new lens, the glasses. You're still going to grieve. You're still going to get upset, but it won't get paralyzed. It won't crush you because you're interpreting it differently now. This is so important. I cannot stress this because right now, for the first time in the history of the world, our culture says your internal desires are the key interpreter of everything else. So whatever you feel inside, may your external body and the external world conform to your internal desires, which is then going to be boosted by the, the news and social media to agree with that. The mindset assumed, the mindset of our world assumes that our true authentic self is hidden within us. And the path to human flourishing is to discover those internal desires and then express them externally. If I can just discover who I am, then I'll be happy. If I can determine who I am, I'll be free, I'll be satisfied. And so the modern person has got this constant wrestle with who am I and is trying to find it inside themselves. However, it is well documented now. We've had enough time past. Our culture's quest for identity and freedom has far from delivered on its promises. We're not enslaved. We're not free, sorry. We're enslaved. We haven't been set free. So like Elsa, that famous cultural expression, she's singing we're free as she marches off to a cold, icy, lonely castle isolated from everyone else. Never has our culture talked more about freedom, but experienced it less. We're endlessly enslaved to our own shifting internal desires. I don't know if it was 100 years ago, but a, a long time ago, a man called W.H. Auden wrote, each in the cell of himself is almost convinced of his freedom. We're constantly trying to discover and determine who we are according to those internal desires and our external achievements, but it hasn't led us to freedom. It's led us to a new prison. And not only that, it is well documented now that our society, society is not happy on the whole, but paralyzed, paralyzed by choice. Connor, who's doing the tech today, posted on Facebook a couple of weeks ago, a brilliant eight minute video of a 2018 graduate speak, uh, speech from Harvard University. And the guy was describing this. He says, we've escaped from living behind locked doors and we've ended up living in a corridor of multiple doors and we're not sure what door to take. So our society is living in a corridor. We're not choosing anything. The weight of the possible is too heavy for us to carry. Our society is not at peace. We're more anxious. Depression is the most diagnosed mental disorder in the world right now. We feel more inadequate and a greater sense of failure than ever before. There is a weariness and a tiredness to our world. The pressure of determining our destiny is too heavy for us. We're not at rest. We're exhausted. Expectations of the happy life have gone through the roof. 
And as our expectations have increased, so the dissatisfaction, and this is what the marketeers and the advertisers play on, that we're not, we're not living those expectations has gone through the roof. And so we strive and we strive and we strive and we become exhausted. Paul says, stop trying to determine your identity. Let it be given you. Align your heart with that identity and then get a new mindset, a new pair of glasses with which to view the world. Faith is finding your identity in Christ and in Christ alone. And from that position, discovering freedom, happiness, peace, and rest. So our Heavenly Father says to us on our Vision Sunday, before Christ City Church tries to do anything for Jesus, remember who you are in Jesus. Because once we know who we are, will be the people God is calling us to be. The issue of identity is the issue in our culture today. And as I've been describing, it's bound up with sex, sexuality, politics, achievement, popularity, and what philosophers call expressive individualism. What's inside needs to be expressed outside. If we're to make any difference for Christ in a culture that's increasingly hostile to the traditional Christian doctrines, we're going to need to epitomize a different spirit, model an attractive alternative. And so first we must experience and relish and be ravished by who we are in Christ. And all over the next two or three weeks, as we look at it, he's going to unpack that identity in all the various spheres of life, you know, in the home, in the workplace, with non-believers and in the church. But let me give two specific applications for us today, one personal, one corporate, as we think about us. First application, you've got to get very good at self-talk in the modern world, like very good. We've got constant noise telling us this is who you should be. You know, notifications saying, have you not got this life? You're not looking this way. Is your weight not like that? Is you're not that you're not eating this kind of diet? You're not doing that. I mean, it's constant. It's relentless. Our modern world at saying who you should be. You've got to get very good at self-talk and say, no, that isn't who I got to be. I am who I am in Christ. And that is settled and that is secure. I have nothing to prove. I know who I am and I'm aligning my heart, my affections up with that and I'm, I'm i'm learning to think differently every single morning each one of us has a voice do you know the voice a voice is going to narrate your life to you as you go through life and every morning for certain people anyway but i think most it starts like this you're a failure show me you're not you're starting at zero see if you can get to five out of ten today you're not going to make it, are you? You're going to be found out. Do you know that voice? That's the voice our culture and the devil gives us. And a Christian every morning puts that voice away and says, Colossians 3, 1 to 4, I've died. I've raised. I'm hidden. Christ is my life. And I will appear with him in glory. And all that is fact. None of it can be changed. And I'm going to align my heart to that and align my mind to that. You've got to get very, and by the way, particularly in lockdown, you've got to get, you've got to get good at self-talk because you're not getting as much other talk. You're not getting as much interaction with others as you normally would. So you've got to get very good at saying, who am I? And you've got to get Colossians 3 out 
and force that into your head and your heart again and again. Personal application. What's the corporate application? Here it is. Let's be a church defined by our identity, not our activity. It's very easy for a vision Sunday for, a ch- you know, this is about us and what we're going to do and how great we are and our work as a church is about we're building the church and the tendency, if that's how we view church, like what am I doing for it? It leads to pride and burnout and comparisons and legalism and a pretty nasty culture inside of it. But if we will listen to the Apostle Paul as he tells the Colossian church who they are and, he t- and the Holy Spirit tells us who we are, we're not defined by what we do. We're defined by who we are in Christ. This is not our church. We are not the ones being impressive. This is his church and he is building it. And if we can do, if we live out of that identity, then all of our activities, which are important, of course, but they're not defining. And therefore, our activities will be out of joyful service, spontaneous love, a desire for God in his glory. There'll be lots of grace and mercy for when we and others mess up. It'll have the right culture because it's not about us. It's about who God is in Christ and who we've become by grace in him. Do you know the story? And I finish with this in the scriptures that speaks to me more than any other about the power of a transformed identity. John chapter four, you know the one? Woman at the well, a Samaritan woman, she's had five husbands and the man she's living with is not her husband. So she's had at least six sexual partners and she thirsts for love, for intimacy, for security, for joy. She's flawed morally, excluded racially, and inferior in every way according to the culture of her time. She is thirsty, desperately thirsty, and yet Jesus accepts her. And through a very interesting dialogue, she encounter, he brings her into the light and she encounters the one that can satisfy her thirsts. As the story unfolds, something happens in her heart. She realizes, here is a man that knows everything about me and one, he doesn't want to have sex with me. And two, he loves me. And that love is so deep and intimate. It's more deep and intimate than any sexual encounter. And therefore it transforms her and it frees her and her thirst is satisfied. Up to this point in her life, she has defined herself by men, by sex, by the opinions of others, by what she does and what other people do to her. After encountering Jesus, she starts to define herself by none of those things, but who he is and who he says she is. And if you know the story, her personal transformation becomes a means of transformation for the whole Samaritan village within which she lives and revival breaks out and they all come to Christ. As Jesus promised later in John's gospel, she became a stream of living waters that could quench the thirst of others as she introduced others to Jesus. Our ability, our effectiveness to reach this great city of Dublin for Christ will will basically be as effective as understanding and and living out our own identity in Jesus, aligning our hearts to him, 
having our minds fully on him. And once that happens, the water begins to flow. Not only are we satisfied, but those around us get to taste and see. To paraphrase something I recently heard from Andrew Naditono leading our songs today. He said this in a recent meeting or similar. Dublin doesn't need me to be the savior for it. Dublin needs me to be a thirsty person who's found the savior leading other thirsty people to him. It's all about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, who we are in him. And as we know him, we can become a, a stream of living water for many others. Let me pray and then we'll sing. Oh Lord, we say sorry that so often we are defined. We are defined by what our internal desires say. We're, we are controlled by that voice that narrates to us every morning. We're defined by our identity in terms of our achievements. That we do pay far too much attention to what social media and the news is saying rather than what you're saying. Forgive us, Lord, for turning our back on you in this way. But thank you for your grace. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for how secure our identity is. We're not here to discover it and define it and hold on to it. Lord, we've been given it. And even though, Lord, it's hidden and it feels hidden to us, we will one day appear with you in glory. So I pray for each of us, Lord, we get very good at the self-talk, reminding ourselves according to who we are to interpret the world differently. And I pray, Lord, you'd help us as a church never to be striving and what we can do and how impressive we are, but define ourselves again by who you are and what you've done. We do pray, Lord, we become a church that offers the living water to many others, but Lord, may we taste how good that is first. May we be satisfied first, first so it can overflow to others. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.